First Peter chapter 2. Um, and while you're turning there, um, I just encourage you to read through First Peter. It's not a very long book at all, but um, so that way you get more of a picture. What we do here at Mission is uh, we teach and we preach through um, expositionally through the Bible, uh, which just means that we go verse by verse uh, slowly through so that we can just really take uh, what God has for us and not necessarily anything that we come up with. Um, <clears throat> so in this time uh, that we're going through First Peter, uh, familiarize yourself with it. Read it. Uh, read the whole book. Read even Second Peter um, just to kind of get a glimpse of, um, of the big picture as we go through small picture. First Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 4. <clears throat> As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that, uh, that you would really lead our hearts and our minds and open up our hearts and our minds to, to receive your word, to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. Um, and we know by far, without a doubt, that that is a work that you and you alone can do. Um, and so we pray that you would be here with us to help us, to, to guide us through your word. And, it, and if there is anything I say that is contrary to your word, God, I, I pray that you would uh, make us all forget it. And I pray that, um, that if there's anything... Um, that any sort of distraction or stress that any of us have, God, that you would remove it from this room um, during this time where we can just read and, and study and grow in your word. Would you help us and would you be with us? And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. The story of human history began with perfection in the garden, Adam and Eve dwelling and living together with God. Um, God created man and woman perfectly and they were with God in this perfect harmony with, um, with God. There was this perfect relationship. But in two chapters, sin enters in and fractures it all. We don't get very much of a picture of, of this perfect perfection, of this perfect humanity. Um, but Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit to be like God. And God cannot be, as, as a holy being, he cannot be in the presence of sin. So then the punishment and the judgment and the wrath for that sin becomes separation from God. From that moment on, the only way back to a relationship with God ultimately came through a sacrifice. Sin is not merely an issue. It is the tar that we are drenched in and we cannot get out on our own. There is no picking ourselves up from the tar pit. The only way out is by someone taking on that tar for ourselves, lifting us out. God is a just God and so the sins need to be atoned for. They aren't merely forgotten Without the, <clears throat> without the intervention of a sacrifice to place the sin on and thus the judgment on, humans are under the wrath of God that will finally and forever banish them to an eternal and everlasting torment. In the Old Testament, we see sacrifices of goats and lambs. And in a sense, they would place the sins on these 
spotless and without blemish baby lambs and baby goats. And, and that, was the, uh, that was the sacrifice for the day. The issue was, with that was tomorrow you had to do the same thing. It was, a, it was an imperfect sacrifice because it only atoned for and it only uh, covered those sins for just that day. <clears throat> God saw that. He looked upon human history and saw, man, a, a better covenant is needed here, and so he sent himself. God writes himself into the story of redemption to save those who cannot save themselves. Jesus became the ultimate lamb, the sacrifice that the sins of all who would believe were placed on. In this, humans, in that moment, take a step back into the garden under the cover, under the protection of the blood and body of Jesus Christ. If we are believers in the room, in Jesus, we are redeemed and perfect and our salvation is secured. However, it is also true that we're not fully there yet. We are not fully saved. It's, a, it's the doctrine of the already and not yet. That you and I are eternally saved, but we are still very much here and very much marred by our sinful nature. And we return to it daily, sometimes hourly. In the already not yet that we're living in, God is growing us up into that which we are not yet. From the point we are saved, we are on this spiritual journey called sanctification, and God is using everything in our lives, the, the joys, the sorrows, the happiness, the sadness, all of it to chip away at our sinful hearts and make us more and more into this perfect image of Jesus Christ in us. So uh, just a picture of that. I will still be Jacob in heaven, but I will be a Jesus-type perfect Jacob. Why? Because when God did save us, we became a new creation like <laughs> newborn infants with a new identity, and so we have a new end result coming. Righteous before God, back to the garden, perfect harmony and relationship with God. Therefore, what we can conclude from just the story of redemption, God's people must always be growing. The difference between believers and unbelievers is spiritual growth. The difference, uh, the difference between those is the spiritual growth. You and I should be able to look at our lives from last year to this year and see growth. Even if it's only a hard-fought, small degree of change, small degree of growth, of sanctification, of God growing us, we should see it if we claim the name of Christ. No matter if you've been saved for 10 minutes or 30 years, sanctification should always be happening because until we are fully perfect, there's always something to sanctify. Our passage this morning is a glimpse into what God is calling us to be. The person that God is making us into in the work of sanctification. And Peter, uh, the, the guy who God is writing through, um, he saw a whole lot of sanctification in his life. Um, Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple, just rebuked him more. Um, Peter forcefully denied Jesus in public to a little girl. <laughs> Couldn't say, yes, I love Jesus. Um, <laughs> Jesus addresses Peter as Satan at one point. Golly, poor guy. Um, and then at one point, I love this story, but um, they're on the boat on the water and, and they see this figure walking and they think it's a ghost and they're scared. And, and Peter says, who's there? And Jesus says, it's I, Jesus. And then Peter's like, who's there? And it's like, I just told you. <laughs> Um, and then poor guy, he, uh, he, Jesus calls him out onto the water and he walks out onto the water and then he gets scared. He sees the waves and he starts to sink. Um, man had a lot of growing to do, but by the work of the spirit, by sanctification, 
Peter grew. Peter confessed Jesus more boldly than any disciple in the Bible. Peter was the disciple that was most praised by Jesus. And Peter would go on to preach his very first recorded sermon, and 3,000 people were saved. Peter saw the work of God in sanctification in his life. He went from sinking in the water to standing firm. And so now he's calling us to see this same work of God, this sanctification, this growth. Paul elsewhere in 2 Corinthians even says this, examine yourselves, examine yourselves, take a hard look at yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Believers, we stumble and sin and are weak. Even when we don't want to sin, we still sin. The response of the believer, though, is to hate sin, to put it away, to kill it, and then grow in faith in Jesus again and again and again by his grace each day. So let's just, let's examine our faith. What should our lives look like as believers? Two qualities from our text that we see. The first is to be a spiritual house, and the second is to be a holy priesthood. Be a spiritual house and be a holy priesthood. Let's take a look at the first one. We just look back at verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So back in the day, the spiritual house was the temple, um, and this is where God would dwell with his people. And the reason that God had um, men and women construct the temple in the first place uh, is because in that perfection and then in humanity's sin, there was no relationship. So uh, God had people build this thing um, in that sin-fractured relationship so that he could come to dwell with them, so that he couldn't be the one to say, no, I'm going to fix this, because humanity could not do it. The only way for sinful humans to be close to God was for God to come to them. This was the temple. However, it is no longer a building situated somewhere. It's you and me. Ephesians 2 says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. All of us, corporately, together as believers, We are what the text describes living stones stacked and mortared together and held together as a spiritual house. This means that we stand together with other believers in unity and peace despite all of our sin and selfishness, despite all of their sin and selfishness. We're family. It harms the kingdom when we look at this gathering and think of what we can get from it rather than what we can give to it. No wall is held together when a brick goes rogue. We're being fitted together as a spiritual house because it is a picture of what is to come one day in heaven. A temple for God to dwell in. Revelation 21 describes it this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, this is God speaking, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the work of God that he's doing right here in this room. There's nothing more beautiful than redeemed sinners coming together to worship, to love each other because that's a picture of what we're gonna be doing forever. Hebrews 10 says it this way for us in the room and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Do you see your purpose? When we look back at our lives from from last year to this year, we we should see a growth in our care for the brothers and sisters of the world. When we look back from last year to this year, we should see a growth in our care for the unbelievers of the world. What is a a house but a shelter for those who don't have one? We should all see a bonding together like mortar to stone in our love for one another. We We are all in this same spiritual house together, so if one of us falls, ultimately all of us do. It's not a, yes, you do have personal devotion, you do have personal time that you are supposed to spend with God. You are a living stone as one stone. But when you come together, it is a spiritual house. You are not just yourself. It's not just you and God. We should bind up the brokenhearted. We should wipe away the tears here. We should mourn together, laugh together, apologize, repent constantly grow in building up the church. Do you see this in your life? Have you grown in service to the body? Do you seek to encourage and lift up other men and women? Do you think about it? Our growth into who God is making us into should look like a care for the house, care for the other stones, the ones right next to us. Second point, be a holy priesthood. Just starting in verse four again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood. In the sanctification process, God is making us into a spiritual house. So we're, we get that, we're together. Why? So that we may be a holy priesthood. Going back to the time of the temples, uh, the priests, they were in the temple. Like This is where they pretty much dwelled at all time because they were the ones who had to make the sacrifices of the goats and the, um, the bulls and the lambs um, on behalf of the people. And then they would go into the Holy of Holies in, in the temple and they would speak with God. They were essentially the go-between between God and man, God and his people. However, in the New Testament, priests in this way became obsolete because of the work of Jesus as the high priest. So in Jesus, priestly duties became the work of every believer. In fact, priest is just another word for believer in the New Testament. But priests, those who go to God for the people and those who go to the people on behalf of God, believer, this is now you. It's not the job of of merely pastors or elders like you, you bring people to the church and then we do the hard work. It's all of us. When it says a holy priesthood, it doesn't mention holy priesthood, parentheses, it's these people. No, it's all of us. 
That's why we don't really care to grow the church in size or numbers because it's not a call to come and see, but a call to go and tell. We who believe in Christ are all priests for mankind to speak to them, uh, to speak for them to God and to offer what the text calls spiritual sacrifices. Why? Because it's a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice to pray for other people. It is a sacrifice to love other people, to show charity, to give mercy, to show grace. And mentally, it's something that we can do, but when it comes down to it, literally, the only way we can do that is by the Spirit. It's not meant to be an event, this, this love, where we, where we go and do these things, but an ongoing, all the time, all of life type of task because we carry our temple with us. It's not something that we go to. It's not something that we go and do to love and to show charity and to show grace. We have our temple with us. It's literally who we are now as believers. So it's all the time. The truth is, as priests of the living God, as believers now, we have unfettered access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And we all now are called by God to approach the altar with confidence and pray for and care for and love God's people in that way. How? Pray for your neighbors to come to saving faith. Those who do not know Christ, pray every morning for them. Think about the lives of your friends and imagine how they might be handling a situation. Are they lonely? Are they afraid? Do they need encouragement? For the unbelievers of the world, do we care to pray for them? Do we care to know anything about them? When it comes to our church family, we live with a bent toward giving the benefit of the doubt. We live uh, with our our hearts and minds open and for the people around us. Despite who they are, what they might have done, or what they've said. Despite any of those things, despite the most blatant and outright in front of your face sin, our call is to love, call is to go to the throne room with confidence and pray for them. And if this wasn't enough, God makes us a priesthood for the sake of others knowing that Jesus is Lord. Ezekiel 37 says this, my dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is where we are living right now. Then the nations, everyone who does not know Christ, then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. There are men and women who do not know God who are watching your life. And they see your sanctification. They see the the growth or the lack thereof of whatever God is doing. They should look and see our mercy. They should look and see our love toward other sinners and be mind blown because it doesn't make any sense. People should get revenge when they're wronged. People uh, should have justice that is served, especially here in America. It's the way we feel. Not so for those of us living as priests. We live our lives as though we need no justification or reasoning for loving anyone. Do you pray for the unbelievers of the world? Do you pray for other missionaries of the kingdom? 
Do you go to the throne room of grace for the sake of someone else? Are you generous? Are you merciful? Are you gracious? Does it look like you have this unfettered access to the Father? The truth from our passage is that for those of us growing in these ways, for the, for the holy priesthood, there is an honor and a glory upon us. If you look at verse six, for it stands in scripture, God's word, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. And if you think about just the honor that's mentioned in the Bible, what we just talked about, no more tears. Like just that simple, that small fact, no more tears. All of this, the honor, the glory, the, the eternity back in the garden with our Father, the growth in the meantime, all of it comes through this cornerstone. It comes through Jesus Christ. If you look back at verse four, as you come to him, who is him? This is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You and I are chosen and precious because we have the blood of Jesus who was chosen and precious on us. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are no living stones without the work of the living stone to bring us to life. There is no work that you and I can do to see this honor and glory. There's no being built up as any house. There are no sacrifices that we make. There is no love that we have for other people unless we believe in the spiritual sacrifice. In Jesus' death on a cross where he took on the sins of those who would believe and give us all his righteousness that we may step to the judgment seat and instead of a list of our sins, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. What is deserved for Jesus. The truth of this passage is that Jesus became the rejected stone that you and I may be the accepted ones. And so we live our lives as though God has appointed us as a priesthood together. And we pray for and we love other people as an overflow of the love that we have been shown in Jesus Christ. There are absolutely zero excuses for not living with charity and grace and mercy toward other people when we look at the charity and grace and mercy shown us in Christ. In Jesus, we see a mysterious and paradoxical love that makes no sense at all because who can love a sinner? Our culture has normally a problem with sin just being a nuisance rather than offense to a holy God. And so we tend to see sin as being too little and surely we aren't that bad and so surely other people really are that bad and it puts up this wall. But if we saw our sin for what it truly is, an offense to a holy God against a holy God, we would be the most humble we would be the most loving, we would be the most gracious, the most generous, the most merciful people on the planet because we have been shown all of that in Christ. It is only by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we grow at all. It is the gospel that we must believe to be saved and it is the gospel that we come back to over and over and over again to be reminded of this great love. 
Because the truth is that we, we won't always love in these ways. Sometimes we'll go a few days, a few months without seeing any growth. We'll look back at our Bibles and see, oh gosh, how long has it been now? We fail to be a holy priesthood individually and corporately all the time. We fight and argue. We hate and hold bitterness. We serve, but we do it with no joy at all. But we come back to the good news of Jesus Christ. Living a life that we could not live to give us holiness that we need to stand before God. Jesus died a death that we deserve to die in our sin to take away the wrath of God. And so now our sin, it might be embarrassing. It might be hard. But in Jesus, it is no longer condemning. Jesus died that death that we deserve to die in order to take away the wrath of God. And Jesus was raised again to life that you and I may look all the time, every single day, every moment, and see the work is finished. And so we have no work that we have to do to gain this acceptance from God, but it's here. Now we work. The gospel frees us up from the condemnation and judgment that, that we did deserve, and so now Now we grow in sanctification in ways that show this same love to others. And just imagine, one day, believers in this room, all of us will be sitting at the table together, laughing at one of God's dad jokes, and it's going to be the best. And we'll look across the table, and we'll see each other. We will be in perfect harmony and unity by the Jesus who paid it all for us as he sits right next to us. And that will be our new lives forevermore. So let us love like this will one day be true. Let us view the the person across the room, the person across the street, the person across the globe with eyes like this. As a picture of that day, uh, we're going to take communion together as a family. And so if you have been adopted in by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith, then you are welcome to the table. If, however, you are in unrepentant sin, or if you are not yet a believer, then I ask that you would just remain in your seat. And for, uh, for parents in the room, you are the arbiters of your child's faith, and so you be the, uh, the judge there. Um, but for an unbeliever and for those in unrepentant sin, God's word says that you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. And I don't want that for you. If you're in unrepentant sin, remember again the gospel. That you are free to repent in Jesus because you have been given Jesus' righteousness. Take this time to turn from your idols and sins and believe again today. And if you look at the rest of the passage says, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. If you're in this room and you are not yet a believer, this passage just told us that you are destined for shame. That is eternal punishment in hell. And it's all because of your choice, your disobedience to God's word but also look and see in this passage the grace of God on your behalf. God gave an ultimate sacrifice for that sin in Jesus. Believe in him today. Don't walk out these doors without knowing for sure.
Turn from your sins today. If you're here and you know that you're a believer, but maybe right now you're just not growing. And maybe right now you are living um, in, in sin and, and you're not living in ways that show uh, that you love the body or, or love other people in this way. But part of our growth as believers is God showing us and us seeing where we need to grow and then doing so by God's grace. So let me encourage you, you're in a good spot. Dead people don't worry about that. Let the gospel encourage you now to dig deeper and to grow your roots down deeper into what Jesus has given you. For all of us, uh, here's our prayer. Father, we confess that we forsake our call to live as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood for the sake of other people, and we admit that we need this body and blood to cover us. Would you, by your grace, continue to grow us? best parts of that passage is uh, at the very beginning when it says as you come to him literally as believers simply as we come to Jesus we are being built we are growing we are being sanctified so this morning every day every hour every minute whatever it takes let that be our prayer Jesus we come to you and so all of it is possible all of this building, all of that, that picture of one day, heaven is all possible because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a beautiful truth of the gospel that in, in all of human history, no one was able to pull themselves out of the muck and mire of sin and yet you stepped in. You sent Jesus, your son. You wrote yourself into the story to be that redemption. And so God, we pray that you would grow us. We pray that you would uh, continue to grow us up to be a spiritual house together, to be our, our mortar that does ultimately hold us together. Because what unifies all of us as, as believers, what unifies everyone, is that the, the ground is, is level at the foot of the cross. So God, we thank you. And we lift up you and your name alone and we pray that you would help us. It's easy to, to read as we come to you and be like, oh, okay. But because of the sin that we do still have, Father, it is hard. It is a sacrifice in and of itself. Would you help us? Would you remind us of the gospel every day, every hour? Would you help us, like Peter is writing here, to stand firm? So, Father, as we come to you yet again in Jesus, would you grow us? We pray all of these things by the stone that was rejected. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.